Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. However, wherever, whenever you're listening, this is the Rupert Wisconsin Show, episode 134, coming at you from the Riverwood Gallery Studio in De Pere, Wisconsin. I'm host producer, the biggie, Eric Fisher. Joining me this week, my sole guest, Dylan Schreit. Dylan, you did suck last week, so we invited you back on. How are you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing all right. How are you? Fantastic. Glad to have you back on a five-star rated podcast on Spotify. You're welcome. Now, that is that is just three ratings, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> well, but, it's three for three. Three for three, five stars, so we'll take it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> lots to talk about tonight. Recording a little bit later than we normally would. I do apologize. Radio Grind, man. It's busy time mm-hmm. of year, so that's on me, but I'm glad that you're here. Uh, Shauna was tutoring tonight and doing some school stuff. Sean under the weather. Justin's busy as ever, and so is Ramsey, so... It's Eric and Dylan, and Dylan, I don't know if we're officially putting you in the in the hosting role permanently. I think we've talked about that, but by all means, again, like I said, you did suck, so you're welcome back. And uh, if you do join, you know, it's really funny. I was putting this together. I have lived in some capacity, basically, with three of my five co-hosts. You were a college roommate. Yeah. Sean lived next door to me and was always at our house. And still, I mean, he likes, he literally spent the night here on Saturday night after RPW. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I live with Shauna. Right, yeah. So, yeah, the only ones that I've, I mean, I've, I have slept in the house of four of the five. The only one I'm missing is Justin. So, Justin, I'm coming over at some point. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, going to be like reality. You got time to fix that. But three out of five <laughs> is still a solid percentage. Three out of five that I've, like I said, I would probably say for just record keeping purposes, I have lived with for or slept in the same building as probably for at least nine months a school year. Yeah. Sean's the only one I don't have really mathed out, but I, I would be willing to say that that probably has added up over the years. Well, if he's listening to this episode after you post it, uh, and if he remembers, maybe he can come in and give us those stats. You know, I love Sean. next. Sean's not always a statistical guy. That's usually more my mm-hmm. niche. Um, so I, I don't think we're going to have that on, on record. That might be a thing if uh, my mom is listening. Mm. Mrs. Fish. If she's <laughs> listening, Mama Fish. Um, if you have any sort of record on that, by all means, we would love to know. But uh, again, for for storytelling purposes, I'd be willing to say it's been at least nine months worth of time in the same building and sleeps. So, yeah, yeah put that together tonight. So just fun, fun fact about our, yeah. our show. I like living with my co-hosts. <laughs> yeah, we're all close. We're all friends here. All right. So. As always, got to talk about our partners. We've got Raging Pro Wrestling, RPW. We had two events over the weekend. We had Friday night, RPW Homecoming, which unfortunately we missed um, due to Shauna's work schedule and uh, some school meetings. So we were not able to get out to Was- or to Wapaka, excuse me. But I do have results from the show for those of you who do pay attention to the RPW shows. Uh, Ethan Matthews defeated Johnny CK, Jaden Mercer, and Jaden Mercer in a triple threat match. Garrison Creed defeated Zach Hendricks. Riley Jackson defeated Isaiah Moore. 
Swaggle, the artist formerly known as Hornswaggle, defeated Preston Palmer. Casey Lennox defeated Maggie Lee. Silas Young and Stacey Shadows defeated Joey Avalon and Sierra. Santana Garrett defeated Vanity. In the RPW Heavyweight Championship, Jake Something defeated Xavier Walker to retain his RPW Championship, which the belt was stolen from night one of RPW Doubleheader Weekend. Stolen by a talent, also known as Xavier Walker. And then in the RPW Women's Championship match versus RPW Glamour Champion, Heather Reckless defeated Glamour Champion Missa Kate to become the RPW Glamour Champion and the RPW Women's Champion. So that was night one. Night two from the Big Apple and Manswag, which we were in attendance for, Ramsey, Shauna, myself, and Sean. Opening match, Aaron Arsenal defeated Johnny C.K. Preston Palmer defeated Jaden Mercer. Perfection with a rare win over Jimmy Ocean. Isaiah Moore defeated TW3 and Riley Jackson in a triple threat match to become the number one contender for the RPW Cruiserweight Championship match. Uh, Santana Garrett defeated Casey Lennox. Maggie Lee defeated Heather Moore, Kayla Cassidy, and Brooke Tanner in an elimination match. And Maggie Lee, the winner of that match, will now face RPW Women's Champion... Heather Reckless at RPW Extravaganza in Manitowoc on March 16th. RPW Tag Champions Natural Violence defeated the Baker Boys with Craig Baker to defeat their or to retain their RPW Tag Team Championships. And in the co-main event, Brick 12 Gauge McCarthy defeated six men to become the new RPW Heavyweight Champion, including Jake Something, Xavier Walker. Silas Young, Damian Chambers, and Garrison Creed in an elimination match. And he will now defend his title at RPW Redemption 3, that coming up February 10th. That is the last scheduled show at the Watering Hole in Green Bay as of right now for RPW. And then in the main event, Tessa Blanchard defeated Kiara Hogan and Diamante in a triple threat match. Three TV stars all coming to Manitowoc, Wisconsin. So, awesome event put on by Rich and RPW as a whole. Dylan, I've said this before on this show, and I'll say it again. If you need something to do for $30 or less, RPW is your ticket to go to. The next show, uh, as I just mentioned, RPW Redemption 3, February 10th at the Watering Hole here in Green Bay. Tickets will go fast for that, so by all means, you should be there, and everybody should be there. Um, according to Rich in a Facebook post at, for RPW, as of now, in 2024, they usually have three rows of assigned seating and chairs. That is going to be in t- down to two. So 96 assigned seats around the ring, and then everything else will be general admission based on the venue. So you're going to make want to make sure you get your tickets early for each event going forward. And again, the best $30 you can spend. Or less. Yeah. Sounds like a good time. You guys always talk about how much fun you guys have when you're there. So, Yeah. We have to get you to the next one because it is a legitimate blast. Yeah. Now, Dylan, I know that you used to be a pro wrestling fan. Uh, the best part about this is being on the side of the heels and the bad guys. Mm-hmm. In most of these matches, and just seeing if you can get them to break character by saying things that are stupid. Mm, yes. And then we've also become friends with 
uh, Wisconsin Wrestling Hall of Fame referee, TJ. And we always back him up because, as you know, in wrestling matches, when when the usually the heel, but when the wrestler doesn't get their three count on a pin, it's the, you know, if it's a kick out of two and like two and a half, mm-hmm. everyone goes, you know, the wrestler's, no, that was three, that was three. And you right, got yeah. me, Ramsey, Sean, and Shauna. No, it was two. Good job, TJ. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So someone's got to root for the stripes. Exactly. And that's that is the root for Wisconsin show. Mm hmm. So. Anyway, that's our friends are there. We've also got our friends, as always, at RaiseEnergyRepSports.com, code ROOT4, 15% off of any order. And with that, we get into the heart of the episode here, which is what we have rooted for in the last week. And Dylan, I'm going to let you lead this off because I've talked for quite a while here. So what have you rooted for in the last week? Yeah, so I'm going to take it local. Um, this week, You know, I found this article on Fox 11 News this week there's a lot of local athletes signing their national letters of intent, you know, go playing college sports. And we have a whole host of them from this area. Um, the article you can find on Fox 11 news, uh, their online site, you know, they outline it. You know, there's, there's a lot of De Pere kids that are going mm-hmm. and playing and playing D one. Uh, we got some basketball players, some swim and dive baseball. Um, and then, you know, at the other, at the bottom, they, they go past the De Pere kids and they start talking about other kids from the area. And there's a, there's a whole handful of them. So you like to see it. We like seeing area kids uh, living out there, collegiate sport dreams. So as long as they know we're all rooting for them, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of piggyback on that, I do want to give a shout out to – Milwaukee Germantown native KK Arnold making her college sports debut as a member of the Yukon Huskies women's basketball team. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I had said to you, and I've said on the show a couple times now, I really am getting invested in just the star power that is women's college basketball this year. Mm-hmm. Like I'm giving it as much effort as I can. Um, and Yukon Husky women, just a phenomenal program have been forever. Uh, Dylan, mm-hmm. as you were mentioning and doing your research today, there's another commit who is still a senior in high school, Ali Zebel at Nina yep. High School. Um, and she is going to be going to UConn next year. So Wisconsin's always had incredible like high school women's basketball players or girls' basketball players at the high school level. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've known this for a long time, just the success that UW-Green Bay has had. In our lifetime, the 24 conference championships, including I think it was 22, 23 straight conference championships. Some Uh, ridiculous number like that. A 24th this last season. The unanimous pick by the Horizon League media and coaches to repeat that as the champions. Um, So just a very successful level of basketball. But we also know there's been some high-end talent here. Going back mm-hmm. to, you know, I can probably go back even further, but even just really since kind of paying attention, looking back to 2014, Arike Ogunwale, uh, the sister of former Badger running back and now Houston Texans running back slash kicker, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in the episode, mm-hmm. uh, emergency kicker, Daria Ogunwale, who played her career at North or at Notre Dame, 
I believe she got a national championship. Who was a featured player um, mm-hmm. in that in that national championship team? And it first in their first overall, but definitely first round WNBA draft pick. So very successful girls high school basketball and in turn college basketball here in the state of Wisconsin. So definitely want to shout mm-hmm. that out as well. Uh, my root for kind of the same track, but just the next step. College basketball is officially back. We have games that count starting on Monday. And for the first time in probably about three or four years, there was basketball on basically all day on Monday, the opening tip-off day. Now, if you remember, Dylan, ESPN used to do this where about, you know, even kind of going back to when we were in college, Green Bay was actually in it a few times, never at home, but playing in the tip-off marathon where at like 3 a.m. to or from like 10 a.m. to 3 a.m. the next day or something like that, or 10 a.m. to mm-hmm. 10 a.m. It was nonstop some, you know, some sort of college basketball and getting these smaller schools opportunities to um, be seen yeah. on a national platform, even if it is at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. Uh, Green Bay, I believe, played in it twice when we were in college for the men playing at, I think, 3.30 or 4 a.m. one time. Um, but I know that it happened, but I, I do miss those days. I thought that was one of the cooler things. Like I've definitely seen some of the cooler parts of college basketball, like watching mid majors play at mm-hmm. early in the morning. And then it was always culminated by like the season tip off game. Like, you know, when they used to play on like the aircraft carrier, I think of like the Michigan state, North Carolina game where you've got like the, yep. the custom camo jerseys and all that. Yeah, I remember that game. That game was so fun to watch because I don't think I don't think they've ever done anything like that before. Then I should say I think that was the first time they did something like that. Right. If I can recall, at least that's the last one I remember, or the earliest one I can remember, rather. But yeah, yeah, they need to start bringing that stuff back. And it was one of those things, like I said, where it was just it was such a an oddity. But I like I think I I stumbled across it by accident, and then you know would later learn about it um, as I got older and, and more into the scene of college basketball. Right. But I very vividly I don't know why I woke up. I was in high school. I woke up at like three in the morning or four in the morning. Couldn't sleep, and turned on the TV like I always did. And there was live college basketball. You know, usually it was mm-hmm. it was repeats or whatever. At that point, you know, you'd have the uh, do the time restraints we move along in the action type games yep yep. but that was not the case and it was actually live college basketball and i saw like i I couldn't tell you who the teams were but i very vividly remember this where a guy the shot clock was winding down he was like at half court or the ball went no the ball went in the backcourt was tip pass went into the backcourt and the guy hit like a three-quarters court shot to beat the shot clock before media timeout or something like that. That's a vivid memory. It was. And like I said, it was four in the morning and couldn't sleep. And there it was. Mm -hmm. So that is my positive story. My route four. But the positives do come the negatives. And that is our Tyler here. Noogie of the week. And Dylan, I know you had been searching one throughout the day, but you said you had one. So I'm going to let you take the floor. Yeah, uh, it's not sports related. I'm going to admit that right away. Doesn't have to be. 
yeah, there wasn't much this week for sports that really uh, got on my nerves, but there is one thing that I found out that has gotten on my nerves, not sports related. Go ahead. <laughs> I like fast food, right? Hardee's is one that I really enjoy. That's Hardee's a bold break- take, but I'm, I'm here for it. I respect your opinion, but that's okay. Breakfast. They have good breakfast food. Um, they recently brought back their cinnamon raisin biscuits. Okay. Which, delicious. They they got rid of them after, they got rid of them for a couple years, which in my mind was a bonehead mistake because those were delicious. <laughs> but they're back now, which is great. So here I am pumped. I got some this morning. They were great. Come to find out they only have them until January. Oh. Yeah. So it's frustrating. I know that's a that's a big first world problem there, but that was just, know, it disappointed me. It disappointed me. That is just a tease and a half. I will it, hold on. Give you that one. It, it. I don't. I don't. I hate Hardee's. I really do. That's fine. I, I will. I will. Admittedly, I will go there from time to time and like, oh, this is better than I remembered. <laughs> but it's not like I. I mean, it's it is very much. Not a top priority fast food stop. Like it is probably mm-hmm. like, if I am absolutely starving and there's nothing else, you know, I'm gonna find I'm gonna find something else. Is basically what I'm saying. Like first priority. Right. I've right. never had their breakfast, so I will give them benefit of doubt on that. Just because I've never been really nowhere near enough to a Hardee's mm-hmm. that, that serve breakfast and McDonald's breakfast is so elite. It's really hard to surpass mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So I will say um, I'm, I'm going to give a a benefit of doubt. So I will go along with you on that. But It's more the fact that they have one of these super popular menu items and then they can it. It's kind of like whatever reason. Price. Yeah. It, well, yeah, I, I would say it's more. Yeah. It's, well, like the, ba- it's like the, the, the bagel sandwiches at McDonald's. But yeah. It'd be like if they were only back for a limited time, but they didn't. Did, at least they're telling people, I guess. Because like they the bagel, they, yeah, the Hardys didn't mention anything. Like you know, McDonald's has the McRib. They announced when their McRib's coming back for like a month before it even comes back. Right. But yeah, that that's that's my noogie of the week. I don't hate that. I, I definitely get the sentiment. I like I said, I cannot speak for the quality. Of the treat, but I will agree with the sentiment that that is definitely nuggy mm-hmm. worthy. Um, my nuggy of the week is going to go. It's, it's going to be kind of sports related, but it's also just in general for TV product and company product. Mm-hmm. And that's Valley Sports, specifically Valley Sports Wisconsin, specifically Valley Sports Go. I believe I I don't have this service, but. Um, I'm going to go off on it anyway because it hasn't mm-hmm. – I don't know if it's knowingly affected me. But as we all know, as I've said it on the podcast the last couple of weeks, I've been paying a little bit more attention to the Bucks basketball here in the early parts of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good. As, as of right now and for the foreseeable future, NBA and MLB is for the most part exclusively broadcast on a night-in, night-out basis on regional networks. Mm-hmm. Um, the NBA for the Bucks is Valley Sports Wisconsin. MLB with the Brewers obviously still Valley Sports Wisconsin, distributed statewide. 
Now, I don't know if you knew this, Dylan, or if you remember this, but about two years ago, there was a big deal with um, where Dish TV and other TV providers were not able to carry Valley Sports because Sinclair, or no, it was Diamond Sports because it was no longer Sinclair, but Sinclair and Diamond Sports um, had contracts with all these distributors, all these TV providers, and they got to negotiations for Dish. Um, I think Spectrum was up there too. So really only people who had DirecTV could watch Valley Sports Live. And they didn't have it on Dish, and they, I, I don't think they had it on Spectrum. Um, I could be wrong on that, but it, I know Dish was like the big one, and YouTube TV I don't think had it either. So you had all these like sports fans nationwide who couldn't get their regional sports where that was the only outlet for it. Um, and so kind of in turn with that Valley sports test marketed at first. I don't know if this is still in the test phase or not, or if it is kind of nationwide where you can just pay them directly for your feed. So, you know, if you're living in Wisconsin, you can pay for Valley sports, Wisconsin. I think it's like 10, 15 bucks a month. And then that way you can watch bucks games for games, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the host of other content that they have, like they have all the, you know, the national stuff. They have like their localized outdoors program and they have a lot of different programs, but now you can watch it. Um, but with that here, as a lot of sports fans know and people who pay attention to like media and media matters and whatnot. Diamond Sports had some contract issues themselves where they were not paying these teams to distribute their broadcast, uh, specifically with the MLB, leading to Diamond Sports declaring bankruptcy earlier this spring. Um, and a lot of teams and sports organizations, specifically really with baseball, kind of got into a panic because there's really not a backup plan, especially with baseball, because of how they distribute their own content and how the MLB is. There's not really a, a true good backup route for them to go without the regional sports base. Mm -hmm. uh, you basically need some sort of regional sports base, and if you don't have Valley Sports, or it used to be Fox Sports Wisconsin before they sold uh, to Sinclair, or it was owned by Sinclair, and then Sinclair sold it kind of to Diamond Sports, which is Valley. It got into this really weird space where, like, at least the NBA is able to, you know, they have their TNT, they have the ESPN deal. So they have enough national deals to probably have made it work for the NBA's sake. And there's probably, a, I think there's a couple routes around this for conversation's sake. But where I'm going with all this, and I can kind of describe the merits of it a little bit later, is at least in the early parts of the season, Bucks fans specifically, I don't know if this is nationwide or like if it's just Valley Sports Wisconsin, have not been able to access Bucks games because they'll have technical issues. And the app is down. Which, mm -hmm. this is a, like I said, this is a dying program the way it is, or a dying TV venture the way it is. People are paying you, and your programming is not on air. Or at least not available to these subscribers who are paying you directly, not just the cable provider. So on top of, you know, all the other financial aspects that they've been facing now you've got people directly paying you and it's going nowhere uh like i said where it, it's not working 
um, which really I think the NBA actually announced earlier this week. So I'm guessing it may it may be nationwide. But mm-hmm. the NBA announced that until things kind of go south and officially there is no diamond sports, they're going to stick with those contracts. Um, amidst the bankruptcy scene. Which really begs the question of, you know, why, you know, if, if they're not, which I, you know, to be honest with you, I kind of don't doubt that they are. But what is the MLB going to do? If, are, are they going to be able to form some sort of backup plan? And NBA, for that matter, too. Like I said, I think, at least with the NBA, there's kind of enough other areas they could go. And I think ESPN very well, because they do have a very lucrative deal, could really turn their ESPN Plus subscription into something and have people go with. But here's the other side of things, too. And it's not just, you know, it, I got in this conversation with the Brewers, but the Brewers are here asking for millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars from the taxpayers. But you're going to come to a time where people might not even be able to watch the product. So you'll have yeah, hundreds. You may have hundreds of millions of dollars in tax money, and it only ends up being like $16 per person or something like that for all the work that they're going to do. But you're still going to have all these, you know, the sales tax and all the, you know, the again, just income tax going towards that project, which may not have a TV distributor. And for that matter, it may not even have any sort of way for it to view. Or you could even be into a case where, like, if Spectrum or Comcast steps in and it's only available on one platform, which I don't foresee happening either, but... This certainly has the makings of a rather frustrating experience. Absolutely. Um, Now, this was just me spitballing in a conversation with the person who also used to work in TV and in the media. My solution, and it's not a great solution, I don't know how feasible it would be given, again, the national contracts that are out there. You know, with baseball, it's uh, heavy up base on Fox Sports as well as TBS and Turner, and there is some on ESPN for national games of the week. But at least for baseball's sake, I would not be surprised what I think they could do. And actually, I think this would actually end up helping in the long run. Is if you could get, like, if Peacock were to step in and NBC were to step in, buy those rights or get those rights into some sort of contract with the MLB. Every one of these markets does have an NBC affiliate. Mm-hmm. I think Milwaukee has TMJ. I'm pretty sure it's TMJ. I believe you're correct. Um, but every one of these markets does have NBC affiliates. So in that sense, because baseball is such a regional base, I think you could, at that point, you could make a very lucrative deal to have, you know, your, like your week games or weeknight games on either on Peacock exclusively, and it's an open enough provider where you can still have, I think there's still, like, there is a Peacock free option, um, and then there's a few different levels of premium options that they have and still one of the more affordable platforms at this time and then you know again i thought of this for the brewer's sake i think the maybe the best route would be your weekends or 
you know, you can kind of go into like the, you know, the alternate options for like, you know, how all these over the air TV stations have like a, you know, 5.1, 5.2, 5.3. You could basically have like a sports based NBC affiliate channel like what Valley Sports or like what, you know, NBCSN would be. Tie that into your, your over the air programming. Have your weekend games because especially in the summer and spring where there's not really, I mean, the NBC has hockey, but they don't really have college basketball on NBC. You know, you could put that on TV. You could put that in your local markets over the air, like on your antenna TV. And I think that would do wonders, A, for growth of baseball and basketball in that sense that they went that route too. I don't know if it would be as able to be done with basketball. But it would be an option again, given the local right. aspect of it. But you could increase viewership. You know, you'd have live sports programming, which we know, traditionally speaking, does the best of any TV content. Mm-hmm. Live sports does rate the best. And again, you're growing the game, getting it to more people where it's more available on a regular basis. I would just, I have a hard time believing that these huge professional sports organizations worth hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, don't have a plan to get these games on national television. See, I'm not worried about the national television aspect because I know that, like I said, MLB has the contract with Turner where they're on TBS all throughout the season. They have the contract with with ESPN where they have national games. They have a contract Mm -hmm. with Fox Sports where they're on either FS1 or, you know, over the air Fox, like they have their weekly game of the week or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's not the weekly or the national TV. It's you need to have a new regional provider, but the way that TV has gone so much lately, where as of right now, I believe there's 20 markets in national, you know, the big four that don't have a backup affiliate program like that. Where, you know, like Chicago has gone from WGN over to NBC Sports Chicago or whatever it is. But they mm-hmm. have that at their disposal. Wisconsin currently doesn't have that. Um, at least not directly anyway. So there's, I think there's 20 markets, if I'm not mistaken, that are currently relying on Diamond Sports as it stands right now. Like I said, I, I feel like I feel like they have to have a plan. They're just not being public or starting to implement it yet. I I find it so hard to believe that they don't have anything set in place for airing regionally. I would think that the NBA does. But to be honest with you, because in theory, I want to agree with you on that, Dylan. I really do. Yeah, right, yeah. But I also know how old school the MLB is, especially with, like, the MLB, like, the owners and whatnot, where up until very recently, the only place for MLB highlights was MLB.com. wasn't on YouTube. You couldn't get them on Twitter or X, whatever. You couldn't get them on officially, like, on TikTok unless it was like kind of like a one-off thing on their channel. So they had mm-hmm. such an exclusivity to it that you really couldn't, like the common person, unless they're really looking for it, they weren't 
stumbling across it where if you go on Twitter, if you go on any sort of social media, you're seeing basketball highlights, you're seeing football highlights, you're even seeing as terribly run of as an organization as it is, you're even seeing NHL highlights. Mm-hmm. But you're not, you weren't seeing baseball in that same that same kind of sphere until very, very recently. And so I, I want to say that they have that plan. I would hope they do. But I also have no faith that they do either. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so, well, that's just one of those things that time will tell. Right. But that is, that is the first place I would start to look. That or right. what's probably going to happen... If this, if that, if the first idea doesn't come through, is that the way? And I don't know all the legal aspects, but I think Diamond Sports is going to try to file bankruptcy, but basically do it in the way where they don't take faults, and that they allow somebody else to come in and basically buy them, keep the contract going, and go from there. But that's a long way, Dougie. Yeah, but it, it is something that is a very real thing, especially when you consider. Where the Bucks are right, or the Bucks and the Brewers are right now, where the Bucks have the Fiserv that was built by the taxpayers, and AmFam is trying to get taxpayer money, um, even being an amended as of late here, where there's going to be a special ticket tax on non-baseball events that happen at AmFam to lessen the impact of the taxpayer money, mm-hmm. um, which is another update on that, but. Like I said, when you have taxpayers who are funding these stadiums and can't watch on a nightly basis, basically have access to any game or every game, unless they're in the stadium, there's something wrong. Yeah, so that's going to lead to a lot of frustration. The person who lives in Superior, Wisconsin, although, you know, just most people in Superior end up being Vikings fans given the proximity of Duluth and Twin Cities, but the person in Superior, Wisconsin has technically just as much of a right to watch as somebody who lives a block away from AmFam. Right. Yep. Absolutely. When they're paying for the stadium to be renovated and be built. So anyway, again, like I said, long-winded noogie, but very timely. Yes. Agreed. Speaking of timely, do you want to get to our Wisconsin web story of the week? And... That being, it's a very annual debate, twice a year debate, on making daylight savings permanent. But with the twist for this sake, is that if the U.S. stuck to daylight saving time year-round, it could prevent up to 37,000 fewer deer deaths in vehicle deer accidents. Uh, This study came out through the University of Washington, uh, but... The analysis found, so they were using Wisconsin data, that Mm -hmm. the Wisconsin deer crashes consistently peak in the week immediately following the end of daylight savings time. When high traffic hours align with sunset, the tracks with a study that was done by University of Washington researchers in 2022. Um, So like I said, upwards of 37,000 deer vehicle accidents nationwide, or maybe it was within the state of Wisconsin. I'm not quite sure where those numbers are. I believe it's nationwide. Um, Yes, in in the U.S. So nationwide, 37,000 less if daylight savings time was just permanent. I'm not a fan of daylight savings time by any means. 
So I would be all for that. Obviously, it makes logistical sense as far as commutes, home from work, lining up with twilight hours. This also goes to say in terms of human traffic um, would save about an average of 33 deaths and some 2,000 injuries that people among people and save roughly speaking or an estimated $1.2 billion in collision costs. So there's a large financial incentive as far as vehicles and commute are concerned. Correct. I mean, I'm all for it. I, I, I despise daylight savings time. Um, you know, the, the fallback is pretty nice when you get that extra hours of sleep Sunday morning. But, you know, that Monday when or Sunday night when you can't fall asleep or you sleep too much even and your Monday is just miserable. You uh, know, that's, hot hot take here. I like the spring forward better than the step. The, the that's a hot, that is a hot take. And I know it doesn't make sense. Because it really, I mean, you do lose an hour, but I've always viewed it where I gain an hour of sleep either way. Because the way I, and I, again, I know this is totally night and day wrong, but I have tricked my brain into <laughs> believing this, where in the spring, when you spring forward, in my brain, I don't really think about it until the, the morning of. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I, if I wake up and I look at my phone and it's 9 a.m., it's like, holy cow. I got an extra hour to sleep because now it's nine instead of eight. Again, I know it doesn't work that way. I know I'm actually losing an hour because it went from two to three. Mm-hmm. But I view it that way. Now in the fall, though, for whatever reason, my dumb brain goes, mm-hmm. "Yeah, it's not. It's not nine. It's not ten p.m. It's it's nine p.m. Like I'm still good to go for another couple hours here." Yeah. Um, nope. Which which I can confirm, and we'll talk about in our bar of the week a- afterwards. Definitely played into this past weekend with the Rupert Wisconsin crew. Um, I'm sure it did. I'm our, sure it did. Our bar of the week, I cannot speak highly enough of. So we'll we'll do that at the end of the show. But um, yeah, no hot take. I like this. I like the spring forward because at least like when it's when I'm looking at it, it's like yeah, you know, if I'm that first Monday, it's like yeah, you know. It's a little bit lighter out. I'm like, yeah, this was this is mm-hmm. four p.m. last week. Like now it's five. I'm done with work. Let, let's let's have a night. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, you know, we we got that extra hours of sleep. But like you said, I'm looking outside, and as five p.m. rolls around, I'm like, holy cow, it's freaking dark. Yep, not a fan. So that is that is my hot take. I am also kind of sick of it. I think if we just kept it permanently, because I, I don't I know that it was done for the farmers and I know nationwide it's probably not beneficial for farmers anymore. You know, I know that there's studies on this, but let's just keep it. Like what's what harm is it doing that it's still light out at five PM or you know, whatever it is? Like I'm all for it. I have no control over it. It just at the very least right now it gives me something else to complain about. I mean that's basically what it is, right? Like it's just something yeah. like that. But yeah. All right. So enough enough news, enough contract talks and, and negativity. Let's talk some sports, Dylan. Because there's a lot to talk about this week. Uh we'll there is. start we'll start with the great city of Milwaukee. And 
the Milwaukee Brewers in 2024 will have a brand new sparkling manager. This week, after Craig Council shocked the entire baseball world by not going to the Mets, not going to the Guardians, not staying with Milwaukee, not stepping away from the game of baseball, but going to the Chicago Cubs. Yes, and, and that was quite a shock. I have a few thoughts on this, and I'm going to say I don't really have my finished thoughts until the Brewers decide who they're going to have as the new manager. Mm-hmm. Because I, I want to see where they go with this decision in terms of what I really believe transpired with Craig and Mark Adonazio and the whole gang and what the Brewers view their franchise and what direction they're heading in. So I really, I'm going to be honest, actually, I don't even know if I'll have my full thoughts on this until opening day next year, but I have, I have some kind of prepared line of thinking as to kind of where I'm going. And I kind of want to get your, you know, your take on this as a self-described non-baseball guy who just more or less pays attention to the highlights and the scores. Right. And, uh, you know, like I said last week, I don't pay much attention to baseball. The most, basically what I do as far as brewers are concerned is, um, what's the score? How are they doing? And how's the projected outlook for the playoffs? Right. But I know instinctually enough to say, I hate the Cubs. (laughs) Right. It just, you know, that's like you're born in, you're born in Wisconsin. You hate the Chicago bears. Right. Chicago baseball teams, thumbs down. Um, so the fact that he went there is, is just, it's I saw it. Like, I'm not, yeah, like it, my jaw dropped because I'm like, wh- why would why would you even consider going to who I assume is your biggest rival? Yeah, that's a discussion that I think is going to definitely be renewed here. Because if you had asked me two years ago on who the Brewers' biggest rival has been, again, geographically, it's an easy talk to say, yeah, Chicago. Right, yeah. But for conversation's sake, I mean, it's the same, you know, depend- it's probably generational on how you answer this. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you talk about the Packers, you can ask a Packer fan who your biggest rival is. And historically speaking, it's Chicago. Geographically speaking, it's Chicago. But in terms of competitive nature, it's usually been actually Minnesota, at least for our lifetime. Yep. Now, with baseball, and at least for my sake, I have always said, I think, in terms of actual on-field rivalry, it's been St. Louis, the Cardinals. Yep, I can see that. And for the most part, aside from really this year, 2018 and 2008, both teams have really never been really that great at the same time. And I cite, you know, when the, the, a couple things actually, but specifically when Chicago was, you know, they were very good in the early 2000s, you know, when we were growing up, like 2003, when the infamous Steve Bartman game happened, they were one game away or one win away from the World Series. Brewers mm-hmm. were going through it, man. They were dog shit. Having the franchise worst records consistently at that time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, since that has happened, 2008, both teams were playoff teams. The Cubs won the division. The Brewers were the wild card team, the sole wild card team at the time. Mm-hmm. 
2011 comes around. Brewers win the NL Central. The Cardinals get the the wild card, end up actually winning the World Series. Chicago Cubs were starting their rebuild to contend for the upcoming 2014, 15, 16 kind of window. So, and then 2016, the Brewers had the worst payroll, lowest payroll in baseball. Um, they were going through the rebuild. It was actually the first year of Craig Council as the full-time manager. So, quite a significant drop-off. They weren't good at the same time. A lot of Wisconsin fans, and this is actually where I think the, the rivalry itself is very interesting in this sense, is a lot of Wisconsin fans, especially older for a lot of their life, did not have the Brewers in the state of Wisconsin. They weren't formed until 1970. Mm-hmm. So for that side of conversation, a lot of Brewers fans, I know a lot of them have passed away now, but I think of like my, my grandma on my dad's side. I think of my great-grandpa on my mom's side who were diehard baseball fans, but especially after the Braves left Milwaukee in the 50s, there was about a 15, 20-year, or less than 20-year window, but about a 15, almost 20-year window where there was no baseball in Wisconsin. Right. And even the Braves weren't here very long in the grand scheme of things. They were previously in Boston. So for history's sake, a lot of people's lives, it was the Cubs were the closest team. So, the, you know, especially in the days of AM radio or before FM, you were getting Chicago radio coming through, so they were your local team. Yeah. You weren't getting Minnesota just because it was westward, and actually when you really think about how the, the world, the radio breaks down, the Mississippi River is where you go into your K's from your W's. So you were getting like WGN and other stations out of Chicago through the AM dial, and those became your teams. Like my, my grandma and my great-grandpa were big Cubs fans. Now, my grandma, I don't know if my, my great-grandpa ever did, but I know my grandma embraced the Brewers when they were here and they became her team, but she always loved her Cubbies too. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of us, myself included, I don't hate the Cubs the way a lot of people do. I've always appreciated them. And again, for the most part in my lifetime, both teams have never been good at the same time. Save for 2018, when you had to play a game 163 this last season where the division kind of came down to the final week and then both teams are in the playoffs, but it really hasn't happened but I would say that this definitely sparks that rivalry up again. Yeah. So in that sense, I mean, it, it really is kind of, you know, that alone is enough of a, a reason to be upset. Now, as more and more have come out, um, it's kind of became a thing where Craig Council contacted Mark Adonazio to tell him, hey, I'm going to Cups. And this I pointed out, I don't know if you've seen it or if other people have seen it, or our listeners, I made about a three-and-a-half-minute TikTok kind of explaining the timeline um, and kind of my gut initial talks within the first 24 hours. Um, we've had about 36 hours since that video was made, and so we've learned a little bit more um, as it comes out. But Craig Council apparently told Mark Adonazio, hey, I'm going to Chicago. Mark Adonazio thought he was joking. He said, are you kidding me right now mm -hmm. and Craig said no he didn't get the opportunity for the Brewers to match whatever uh, that night Mark Adonazio has a very bitter press conference to say the least yeah. saying um, quote we may have lost Craig but Craig lost us he lost the community 
uh, saying he was blindsided by it. And then kind of even throwing in there where as September came closer and the playoffs became closer, he went from not planning to manage to planning to manage somewhere else. He wanted a new professional challenge. Uh, Craig Council allegedly, this has not been confirmed, but said through a source that he felt like he took the Brewers as far as he could go, given the circumstances, which is very clearly the payroll. Um, And also that he was ready for a new professional challenge, which, again, I don't blame him for one bit. And I, you know, I keep going back and forth on this. I don't I don't hate the guy for doing this by any means. Like, yeah, it sucks he goes to Chicago. If he would have gone to the Mets, it'd been like, oh, yeah, he's getting the bag. And if he goes to Cleveland, it's like, yeah, he's going for a totally different situation. Mm-hmm. Good for him. The Brewers, you know, they get to say that they did their part because they offered him a record-breaking contract on a per-year basis. He would have been the highest per-year average salary player or manager at $5.5 million. Whatever, I'm not going to hound them for that. But they get to say they tried. And yep. then he ultimately went with the more money, which was a 45, 45% increase to go from $5.5 million to $8 million. Um, I hate when people do the whole, well, if somebody offered you $3.5 million more dollars or 45% more percent, you would take it because it's not you're not getting that in the average world. Like, yeah, it's a no-brainer, but you're also very much like demeaning this talent. Mm-hmm. Um. It's just, it's not even, I mean, it's real money in the sense that he gets paid that much, but it's not real money. Like, it's not like the average person really is comprehending that and what that really means. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think it kind of trivializes it. So I hate when people do that. But at the same time, like, I, you know, I get where people are mad. I really do. People, you know, Craig Council, a, a video got dug up from, I think, 2018 or 2016 or whatever it was. Where he's saying, I am Milwaukee because I was born here. I played here. He was born in Whitefish Bay. His dad worked for the team. He, you know, he played here for in two different stints. Finished his career here. Immediately went to the front office. Like the guy has had significant ties to the Brewers. And then, as you said, to go to the Cubs. A lot of people are saying it's worse than when Brett Favre went to the Vikings. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what in my head was. I was trying to find the parallel there. But in my opinion, like you said, with with Craig Council's ties to Milwaukee before he was even a part of the Brewers organization, I mean, he was more of a Brewer than Brett Favre was a Packer. Right. And... You know, it was a pretty tough pill to swallow when Brett Favre went to the Vikings. And now to see Craig Council, someone who, you know, for all intents and purposes, bleeds blue and yellow, is now a Chicago Cub. It's kind of like, what, are you, what were you thinking? What, what, what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think that's kind of the hardest pill to swallow because, you know, if this is... If this is any other manager, like, yeah, it sucks, but it's part of the business, right? Like, yep. that's, that, that is what it is. But for it to be a guy who born in Milwaukee, lived in Milwaukee, played for Milwaukee, it's like, yeah, it's a little bit of a gut punch. Like, I get where people are mad. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go and spray ass on his sign at <laughs> yeah. Park in White, Whitefish Bay. I'm not, you know, that Someone is. It. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then I can see how you can get there. I think it's a little dumb. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's a game. Yeah. But I can definitely see, you know, sports elicit emotion. And it's a, it's an escape from reality, but it also becomes a reality to a lot of sports fans. Yeah. And so I definitely, I definitely can see, like, you know, the fans who are pissed off, I mean, just because I wouldn't do something and it's it's kind of dumb, I think it's kind of tacky to, you know, go spray paint the guy's name on a, you know, put ass mm-hmm. over a guy's name. Mm-hmm. That's an emotional response that I I would say is fairly legitimate. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's the right one, but I get it. I can see how you can get to that conclusion. Yeah, without condemning nor condoning. Or, um... You know what I'm trying to say. I, I, I don't... Condoning is the word you were looking for. Yes, yeah. A tongue twister there, but I understand. I understand. So the Brewers, um, they are on a... I look for a new manager, and a couple candidates kind of emerging here early on. I uh, believe the Brewers have only really confirmed two names. They've confirmed Pat Murphy, the current bench coach, which... I know a lot of fans kind of want him to get that chance because he's never really had a pro manager job. I'm personally not really digging it. I think that's more kind of more of the same. And if the Brewers are going to go internal, I've said on this show before, I've said on you know, on Twitter and social media, I think if the only candidate internally that makes sense is Rick Sweet, the AAA manager, but I also get, you know, not wanting to necessarily pull one of your development guys from that job. Right. Uh, because he is so successful at the AAA level and getting guys ready to be, you know, a big leaguer. So I, I definitely understand the concerns with that. A um, couple other names that have emerged internally. Yeah, one of them is Ricky Weeks, which I know that we have a sentimental for our generation. I I I'd say this jokingly. I, I've never met the guy. I'm sure he's a great person. I think he would be the worst possible manager for the sheer thing of <laughs> the Brewers' biggest concern uh the last really the last five years has been consistent offense. And the dude was the epitome of inconsistent offense for his playing career. <laughs> Maybe he knows how to talk it and coach it, and if that's the case, then, you know, prove me wrong. Bring him on. Yeah, bring him on. But for the sense of uh, follow by example, if that's the, the example that you want to have your team, is be, as a, a family friend of mine called him, Useless Dick Weeks. <laughs> I mean, I guess he's an option, So, but he has been in the, the player development side of things. Um, a couple other names that have been tossed around. I've seen Don Mattingly, former Dodgers and Marlins manager. I'm very surprised that he would want a Milwaukee job. But I guess it is a very lucrative job given the pitching staff here. Mm-hmm. And that, they, you know, really you're a couple of consistent bats away. I mean, you have a very good young core. You have a very good experienced outfielder in Christian Yelich. I can, I can definitely see it being an attractive job. I'm not saying it's the most attractive job. It's not one of the big, you know, four or five. You know, you think of the Dodgers, the Cubs, the Yankees, and the Red Sox as the jobs of baseball. Uh, another name, former Cubs manager Joe uh, Joe Madden, being kicked around a little bit because of his success with Tampa Bay, another very small market team that doesn't spend a whole lot, was able to really take. I mean, he took Tampa Bay Rays to a World Series in 2008. 
did not win that loss to the Phillies that year, but still took them to a World Series. As mm-hmm. a smaller market team, I could see that. You know, people making a lot of sense about that. Um, there's been a couple other names kind of tossed around, but I think those are kind of your big three right now. Or your big four with Rick Sweet and Pat Murphy. So really big five. A couple other bench coaches from around the league. I don't hate, I'm, you know, I don't really know enough about them to say if they'd be a fit or not. But I'm also very curious on the construction of what this roster is going to look like this time next year. You know, that TikTok I posted, the Brewers and Craig Council's entire time never had a top half of baseball payroll. And I know that doesn't that doesn't fix everything. You know, the mo- the highest payroll teams, especially as of late, a lot of time haven't even been making the playoffs, let alone you know, winning a World Series. But at the same time, it shows effort on the franchise and that side of, you know, Craig Council's first year, they were dead last in payroll. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have the, the graphic here in front of me anymore of, of what it fully had been over that time frame. But a lot of times they were in the bottom third where it was like 20th, 19th. So it wasn't even like they were knocking the door at like 15, 16. A lot of that time they were 21st, 19, 20, 18. And at that, you know, at that point it's only a couple million dollars, but still... Couple millions, a couple million. Right. That's another. That's you know. I said to you the other day, you know, you don't want to pay Craig Council because his his goal was to reset the managerial market, which he definitely did at eight oh, million dollars. Yeah. Uh, he would have at five point five million dollars. But it's hard to blame a guy and and look at you know when you're paying players like you know Jesse Winker is just the first example because it was the most recent. But you're paying Jesse Winker $7.25 million to play 61 games. It's a little over a third of a season. Mm-hmm. You're paying Brian Anderson, the player, not the announcer. I think he was paid 3.25 to play about that same, maybe half the season, somewhere between a third and a half season. And I don't believe he was available for the playoffs. So you're, play, you're paying these you know, guys money who aren't playing. You're not paying, you know, guys who've been here, like a Corbin Burns, where you're literally arguing with him in arbitration over less than a million dollars. You're arguing over seven hundred thousand dollars, and now he's pissed off at the organization. There, you know, basically any chance to re-sign him is very much probably out the window. So he's a free agent after this season. Mm-hmm. Brandon Woodruff's going to spend his last arbitration year, possibly either out for the full season or out for a lot of the season. So you, you're kind of in this point where you can start paying these guys that have been integral parts of the organization, have made you a playoff team five of the last six years. Is it six out of seven? 18, 19, 20, 21. Yeah, five of six. Because they didn't make it 2022. But you've had winning records uh, basically the last seven seasons going back to 2017 except for 2020, but it was a 60-game season, but you still made the playoffs. But you've had, you've been in, in a position to either be in the playoffs or in the playoffs, where even those 2017 and 2022, where you don't make the playoffs, you're in a spot where you're up in it until the final weekend. So I think that manager, whoever they had decided to hire, which they have not made a decision yet, is going to be very telling 
of what the future plans are. I think, you know, December and January are going to tell a lot of what the Brewers are thinking. Mm-hmm. Are they going to go get, you know, maybe another pitcher or two? Are they going to get that bat that could potentially be a, a very consistent piece of this offense and not necessarily be the one to get them over the hump, but be in that conversation to help out significantly? Or are they going to stay put and rely on this younger talent, which could be very good. I mean, the Brewers have one of the top farm systems in baseball. They have the second best prospect in all of baseball, Jackson Chirillo, mm-hmm. and a number of other you know top 100 prospects. But again, they're prospects. They have not done it at the major league level. So we shall see. It's a very curious, very... Very telling offseason of what the Brewers can slash will do in the next five like the next five years basically of Brewers baseball is going to be determined this offseason. That's a lot of pressure on an offseason, but it's also as I wrote about the Packers, everyone pays the piper eventually. Right. And is it the time that the Brewers are gonna do it or not? Well, I'm I'm leaning toward not i mean purely because they basically let council walk i mean i know he didn't i know he didn't they offered him a record-breaking contract and they he did not give the brewers the chance to match but i think his decision was made before this money talk even happened oh absolutely i fully agree with that yeah i i I was talking about this today where you know, you can say he didn't give you the opportunity to match, but the Brewers likely weren't going to match. I mean, they, you know, it was very on no. record that he was wanting to be in that upper of eight, nine, ten million dollars. That's what he was looking for. That was even back going to, I think, around the All Star break where that was being reported, if not mm-hmm. slightly after. Mm-hmm. So you combine that with the, the sheer fact of, I mean, he's looking for a new professional challenge. That doesn't just happen in the final month of a season. That's conversations that you're having at the end of every season with the owner and the GM and saying, hey, here's the direction that, you know, where we're going. Here's where I want to go. You know, what are we going to do? Which, mm-hmm. Speaking of, by the way, I think the biggest victim in this whole thing, you know, Brewers fans have every right to be pissed off. The biggest victim in this whole situation is David Ross, former Cubs manager, who took this team to be within a game of the playoffs. They missed out, I think, on tiebreaker. They had the equal record of the last seed in, which was Miami. Or excuse me, it was Arizona, which was the World Series, but um, Miami had a tiebreaker over Arizona, which came down to the final weekend of the series, or season. So yeah, the Cubs missed the playoffs, but they were still in contention. I mean, they were very close, and they were expected to be sellers, and they were expected to be the worst team in the division. So you had a guy who maximized your talent and then some with inconsistent pitching. And, you know, again, you know, I'm assuming, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm assuming you had your end of season meeting with him. You know, we're here at November 8th and the the postseason, I think, started October 2nd or 3rd. So you probably had that end of season meeting about a month ago. And then... As of October 31st, because technically speaking, 
Craig Council was under Brewer's contract until that d- October 31st, so they would, the Cubs never technically requested permission to, to interview him. Mm-hmm. So within the last six days, you go from, hey, this is our guy, former player, helped us win the World Series in 2016, to, yeah, we want Craig Council. And the guy didn't even get officially fired until after the Craig Council news broke. Right. I mean, I, I, again, I, I feel for the guy. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's that's the business of sports, but yikes. Doesn't mean it doesn't suck. Yeah. The business of sports is a rough one. And it, it's, you know, you could say it's, you know, airheaded jocks banging against each other. But the reality is, I mean, even tonight, you know, I was doing uh, some of my radio duties, uh, producing and uh, being a board operator for the Devonshire Campbell show. We're two weeks away, or we're a week and change away, or removed from the NFL trade deadline. And Devondre Campbell was like choking up talking about Russell Douglas being traded, and how mm-hmm. much that hurts that one of your guys is no longer here. A co, I believe, a co-captain, or you know, at least a very vocal leader, because Devondre Campbell is one of the captains on defense. One of your vocal leaders is gone. Because the team, instead of being now three and five, is or being instead of five and three, you're now three and five. Going into the game, you were two and five instead of five and two, whatever. So, you know, you have a very, you know, hard conversation. It's just again, it's a very poignant reminder that the business of sports is a rough one, but it is a business. It sure is. Uh, which again, that's I think the biggest takeaway. But for my sake, like I said, I don't, I don't think I'm going to really have my full thoughts a until we know Brewers con- player contracts, you know who's traded, who's been brought in, if anybody, etc. I'm very excited for that possibility, mm-hmm. but I'm also very pessimistic because it's likely going to be more of the same. And you know how often has it been where? just like the Packers, but the Brewers are always, they're always in on guys, but they're never signing them. You know, even now you can say that, yeah, we offered Craig Council the biggest manager contract. He didn't match, you know, give us a chance to match that you were never going to. He took the pressure off. Yeah. Of him. He, he makes Mark Adonazio. I mean, Mark Adonazio is the bad guy in this whole thing. I really think he is, mm-hmm. but he gets to be the bad guy. Craig Council does now because he made the decision that was already made. Yes. And I think that's the the hardest part of the whole thing is the, accepting that reality that the Brewers never going to match that. They weren't going to match the 7.25 that the Mets had offered. And I don't know what Cleveland would have offered. I don't know what they're paying Stephen Vogt, but it also would have probably been that same amount. Probably would have been in that maybe $6 million range. But it was never going to be that you know the deal that he wanted. Mm-hmm. So now Craig Council gets to be the bad guy instead of Mark Ananasio. You know how how many times? And I, I know I just kind of said this, but how many times did the Brewers were they in on a free agent? Like I think a Justin Turner a few years back, um, where it was between the Brewers and the Dodgers, and we'll never know what the Brewers actually had offered him. But you know he said, yeah, I was never going to be a Brewer. But yeah, the Brewers are a finalist. It, it, it happens every single season, off season, 
and yeah, they'll occasionally go get a guy who's, you know, I think back to at least the previous regime or, you know, kind of management and whatnot. Guys like a Matt Garza or Kyle Loesch and guys who are way past their prime were a name at some point in the league, haven't been for some time. Eric Gagne, you know, I think a lot of pitchers. Mm-hmm. But even like, you know, a, a guy who's kind of also been in the conversation of possible manager, think of like a Steven Vogt or. Uh, Mark Kotze, guys who well past their prime had all-star careers and now, even this season, Josh Johnson. And it ended up helping them out. But Josh Johnson was an MVP 2015. It's 2023. You know? Mm-hmm. Right. So, anyway, that's Brewers talk for now. Uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot more to say on that throughout the winter. Yes, we will. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks are five and two on the season now. Yep, they just they just pulled out a win uh, against Detroit. So one twenty to one eighteen winner. Once again, another very close win. Uh, Brewer or the Bucks, excuse me, were favored by twelve and a half tonight, but a win's a win. Still very much figuring it out. Had been without Giannis for a portion of the game after he got a tech, his second tech of the game after a poster dunk. <laughs> yeah. Um. Three and out since Dylan came on the show. So, Dylan, you had talked about that. What have you seen in the last three games? Are you buying in a little bit more now? Or are you still? I know we had talked about this last week. We talked one and ten, smoking on a beach with Snoop Dogg or full on panic. <laughs> right. I think you said yeah. last week you're at about a, a four or a five. I'm definitely less concerned now. Um, you know. Obviously, you can't really base it on tonight's game because Giannis got ejected. They they pulled it together. They they found a way to win. Um, but you know, I look at the game, the game, previous game when they were at the Nets. You know, Giannis put up twenty seven shots, thirty six, twelve, and he only had three assists, which that's that's a little low for Giannis, especially with someone. Um, the caliber of Lillard on the floor, you would think he'd have more than three assists. But you know, they they scraped it together in in that game too. Um, you know, they they started out. You know, the game was pretty close the whole game, but you know, their free throw percentage, I believe, was the highest of the season in that Brooklyn game, eighty-seven and a half percent. The big thing again for me is Giannis is taking twenty-seven shots. Granted, he was one for seven from three, but he's the focal point of the offense, and that's what he needs to be if they want to keep winning games, in my opinion. Um, they may come to prove me wrong if they just give the ball to Lillard and keep winning, but, um, you know, and and the game before that when they hosted the Knicks, Giannis only shot 10 shots. And they still scraped together that win. He was six for ten, but that's too low in my opinion. You know, the only reason they could pull that together was Lillard had thirty, which last year you didn't really have another guy who could consistently go out and get thirty like Damian Lillard can. Well, and you know, here's Chris the numbers. Here's the numbers from tonight. Um, so Damian Lillard leads scoring. He was ten twenty five from the field, uh, two rebounds, three assists, thirty four points. Uh, 
The second scorer was Giannis. Again, only 22 minutes due to the double text. 6 of 16 from the floor, 15 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists. I want to say, you know, I don't exactly know when he was booted, but... I believe it was 9 minutes left in the third quarter. That would make sense. So if he's already had 16 shots very early into the second half, I think that kind of puts him about, you know, that probably would have had probably 25 points, conservatively speaking. Mm -hmm. Probably been in that conversation. Uh, Very balanced effort everywhere else tonight. It was uh, Jay Crowder in the starting lineup got 10 points, five boards, two assists, three of six shooting. Brooke Lopez, including the game winner, uh, 14 points, six rebounds. He was five of eight. Um, Lake Beasley, four of six, ten points, six boards. Off the bench, Bobby Portis added in 18. Marshawn Bochamp added 10. Cameron Payne, seven. Pat Conton, two. So, very balanced scoring. You had seven guys in double figures. I mean, that's, that's a very, I mean, that's a solid effort. Yeah, you know, you kind of hope to win by more than double digits when that happens. Mm-hmm. It, Kate Cunningham has 33. He was 11-27 shooting. I mean, that's that's going to happen with, with guys of that caliber. Right. And that's that's another thing I kind of noticing over these games is the opposing point guards are are scoring. Um, you know, Kate Cunningham with 33. Jalen Brunson dropped 45 the other night. Um, that obviously wasn't the case with... Brooklyn, um, Ben Simmons, kind of. Uh, He's an offensive liability. Let's just say. It. Yeah, yeah. Let's <laughs> just say. It. But you know, you had, you had uh, Cam Thomas drop forty-five. So. Well, and there, here's there, maybe the most concerning was Marcus Sasser off the bench had another twenty-three, I believe, twenty-six. In tw- he played 29 minutes. Uh, by ESPN's depth chart, he's a third-string point guard. He yeah. played 29 minutes, 26 points on 11 of 17 shooting. Mm-hmm. Which I think we can look at the career of Mark Sasser, which I – Marcus Sasser, I don't want to pronounce his name wrong, but I had never heard of the guy. Career average of nine, or season average of nine. Um, yeah, I literally know nothing about this guy. He went yeah. to Houston. He's a, I believe, a rookie guard out of Houston. Let me double check that. But yes, no, yeah, rookie. Memphis. It says Houston. I'm sorry, it's Memphis. Memphis drafted him. I'm sorry. Okay. In his rookie season, um, I mean, he's not a he's superstar. averaging nine points a game. Averaging 18 and a half minutes, 52.8% from the field, you know, 52% from three. I you know he might not be getting a lot of shots, but he's definitely, he played above his averages tonight by a long shot. Well, even in his time at Houston, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, for his college career at Houston, he was 107 games, 13.6 points. His Season, his senior season, 2022-2023, 36 games, 16.8 points. Um, trying to see if I can find a, 
a season high. One moment. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, again, nothing... Nothing, you know, where you would jump off the page here. No, it's not like you're heavily scouting him and planning your game. You're not making a game plan for the third string point guard, right? Right. Consensus All-American looks like uh, NBA All-Region, two-time All-AAC, an AAC All-Freshman team, and the AAC Player of the Year last year. Right. So he's not a bad player. I mean, there's a reason he's in the NBA. Right. But, you know, Chris Middleton was out tonight with a knee injury. So, you know, you're missing your starting shooting guard. Obviously, Jay Crowder took his place. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's going to be on the defense to pick up. I mean, their offense is there, right? Giannis is their lead, their number one option at this point, I believe, based on, just based on the shot counts. seems to me that they've decided that Giannis is number one. But it's nice that they have someone like Lillard that can pick up the slack when Giannis gets ejected for taunting after he posterizes somebody, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, but, by the know, way, I'm, his, I'm... for what it's worth, his career high in, or his season high in college last year, I believe, looking at this, was kind of uh, he had 31 in a game against South Florida last year. That's not bad. But a lot of a lot of single digit scoring, a lot of, you know, 13, 14. Obviously the average was 16.8 last year, 13 mm-hmm. for the uh career at Houston. But nothing to sneeze at, but nothing exactly that strikes fear into your heart at the NBA. No. But you know what they managed, you know, with Giannis out almost half the game. Uh, with Middleton out, your one and your three options, they still managed to, you know, to pull it out. So that brings the concern level down. Uh, next game tomorrow at the Pacers. Following game Saturday at Orlando, and then they host Chicago on Monday. So just a quick turnaround from tonight. We will see if they can keep these things rolling. I'm optimistic. Five and two start, not bad, nothing to complain about. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the Bucks match up with the five and three Pacers, um, which yeah. I think is the most shocking thing. I mean, no, <laughs> yeah. nothing here, I mean, nothing surprising. Tyrese Halliburton, 24 points a game in the six games he's played. Uh, Miles Turner, 16.4, Buddy Heald, 13.4. So, I mean, they, they do have some offensive star power, especially... Yeah, of course, at that point guard position, Oshkosh native Tyrese Halbert. Yep. I believe is he still leading the league in assists? Um, that's a good question. He is first in eleven point seven assists per game. Yep, that's what I thought. So should be a very interesting offensive matchup. Uh this is a game where you definitely miss a Drew Holiday. But Yes. You're also gonna be potentially very thankful that you have a second score on a night where, you know, maybe the legs are a little heavy for a guy like Giannis or Brooke Lopez mm-hmm. and, you know, those legs get a little heavy. You got a guy who can go get 30 as well. Yep. Yep. I'm right there with you. So early season bucks, it's 
for me, it's still it's it's a cha- it's a total change in pace. Being you know following from not paying much attention in October, November, the last twenty, all of them, my twenty seven, twenty six years of my life. <laughs> yeah, yep. But here we are. We've got things to watch and kind of where it matters. I mean, it's not the same old Bucks that it has been, and it, you know, really, it's one player being different over the the guy you know the team that i would say same old bucks but it is such a dynamic offensive player that it's going to warrant seeing how the team gels together as we had mentioned last week yep so definitely worth watching and paying attention to at the very least so that is where we're at on the bucks uh wisconsin badgers had another loss over the weekend for football uh they lost to indiana now it is worth mentioning that braylon allen did not play in that game um, things went from very positive thoughts to very negative surrounding Badger football. They were within the game the whole time, just couldn't get the job done against Indiana, which I would say is an inferior opponent. But when you don't have your number one running back, that's going to happen. You're in yeah. a backup. You had a backup quarterback playing in his second career start. At the college level, you still have a lot of holdover, offensively speaking, at the receiver position who are not necessarily recruited for an air raid offense and a backup running back from the team that, you know, from the system that you are designed for. So, tough sledding. Uh, Badgers uh, football does have a chance to rebound here against Northwestern. That game, I believe, is the home finale. I do want to double check on that. Nope, they'll have two more at home. So this weekend, next weekend, um, this Saturday against Northwestern, Badgers do open up as a nine and a half point favorite in that one. The regular season home finale will be next Saturday, uh, which makes a lot more sense in my head now because the state football playoffs, instead of being Friday, Saturday, are Thursday, Friday, mm-hmm. um, which I'll talk about here in a little bit yet, but. Uh, yeah, so two more Badger home games and then the battle for the Axe in Minnesota. Big games. They got to finish strong if they want any chance at playing for that Big Ten championship. They do. They are a game, technically really two games behind due to tiebreaker. Iowa's yep. at four and two in the conference, Minnesota and Wisconsin and Nebraska all at three and three. Illinois Northwestern at two and four. Purdue at one and five in that West Division. So work to be done, not outside the realm of possibility. Uh, Iowa does have Rutgers this weekend, Illinois next weekend, and Nebraska in the final week of the season. Iowa, not an offensive juggernaut, uh, only a 1.5 favorite over Rutgers. So definitely in striking distance for them to get some help across the rest of the Big Ten here. So we'll see. Yes, we will. I believe Braylon Allen is trending towards playing for this week. And that would be yeah, a big step. That is a huge step. Um, so nine and a half points this opens up at. I'm willing to kind of take that on faith that they'll they'll be okay and cover that, but we'll see. Yeah, I would hope so. Uh, Badger basketball, while well, we're just looking across the college landscape, Badger basketball starts off 1-0 after a convincing Cole center record of offensive onslaught, 105 to 76. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
I cannot think of another time where the Badgers scored 100 points in a game. I had nothing in recent memory for me. That's for sure. 20 points from Chucky Hepburn on 7 of 10 shooting. Uh, 15 from AJ Storr. 14 from Max Klesman. Uh, Stephen Krull had 9. Teller Wall with 8. Looking at the bench, um, only two Badgers who played did not score. And those guys played two minutes and one minute, kind of end of game guys, like very last off the bench. Mm-hmm. But uh, you got four points out of Connor Sijian coming off the bench. I believe he's playing limited minutes due to injury. Um, Kamari McGee, former Green Bay player, had two points in seven minutes, one of one shooting. So very, I mean, again, just a very convincing win. Um, not shocking. I don't, uh, looks like they opened up as a 14 and a half point favorite at the, uh, in the season opener at the Cole center, but Cole center record scoring performance from the Wisconsin Badgers. The previous uh, record, I believe was one Oh four in a sweet 16 game going back to the early two thousands. The Badgers did not play in. So <laughs> Um, next up for the Badger basketball team, they've got ten, the ninth-ranked Tennessee coming to town on Friday night. Uh, as of right now, because of how college basketball works, no spread on that game. I would imagine Tennessee is going to be favored. It is I the would first, concur. It is the first time that a top-10-ranked opponent is coming into the Cole Center in November in program history. That'll be exciting. Hopefully, hopefully the crowd shows up and helps them out. I was very surprised by that, especially when you think about the, you know, I, I know it happens in December. You know, it surprised me because I thought it was always earlier. But when you really think about, you know, the Big Ten ACC challenge, you, know, you think about that big win over Duke a couple years back. You think of but that's mm-hmm. all that's always in early December. Yep. So I was very surprised that a top ten team had never played at uh, the Cole Center in November. But uh, that's Badger basketball. The Green Bay men did lose their season opener uh, with new head coach Sundance Wicks uh, to Iowa State. They lost that 85-44. to 44. Again, not super shocking in that, you know, no offense against Green Bay. Big believer mm-hmm. in Coach Wicks and what, what he's trying to instill here. But the reality of the situation is you had guys who you just don't have a cohesive roster yet. You have guys who, there's two returning players from last season's team, or three, I guess, technically, but two Mm -hmm. that registered minutes and one red shirt. That's going to happen some nights. Uh, Iowa State was a 28.5-point favorite. Obviously, they they held serve um, with a 41-point victory. So that's going to happen, but that's that's going to happen with a new head coach. And I, I know... Coach Wicks would probably say, you know, no excuses that they go into trying to play and win every game. But at the same time, you know, there's no there's no moral victories, but you get a chance to rebound here. You've got a Division Three team coming in for your home opener tomorrow night in St. Francis of Illinois. Mm-hmm. And then next Tuesday, you get Valparaiso at home or on the road. So old conference foe going to Valparaiso. And a chance to potentially be two and one. So very exciting for the Phoenix men. The Phoenix women also lost their season opener 
Monday night uh, to Northern Iowa in a very top and heavy matchup in the conference or in the mid major standings. Uh, they lost that game 78 to 67. Green Bay always schedules a tough non conference this season, no different. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got Illinois State coming up on Saturday at noon at the Crest Center for their home opener. And then next Thursday, they're on the road against Creighton. So, 22nd ranked Creighton, Blue Jays. Yeah, they don't go easy on their non-conference schedule. So, And that's by design. You, you talked to Coach Borisov, you talked to uh, yep. Associate Head Coach Megan Vogel. That's by design. They want the best in the country, yep. and they play them every single year. Yep. Uh, before the end of the month, Dylan, they will pl- as of right now, which obviously this is always under change, before the end of November, they will play three top 25 ranked teams. Creighton, yeah. number 14, Maryland, and number 24, Washington State. Yeah, they are putting them through the paces, but the only way to improve is to get pushed, right? So, you and that's schedule, why. Go ahead. You can schedule, you know, weak non conference opponents to get the wins and make your record look good for, you know, selection Sunday, but at the same time, what good does that do? You know, I, I think this is a very interesting feat that the men's team at Green Bay have not beaten a Power Five since twenty, either twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen, uh, when they beat Miami. The women's team has not had a season without a Power Five win, and I, I I don't know how long that goes back, but it's a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. Where they've always had at least one Power Five win, except I think with the rare exception of twenty twenty, but I don't think that really counts because they didn't play non conference. You know, right. right. So definitely telling of the two areas of where the program is, but at the same time, again, still very interesting to see, you know, the development versus an established mid-major powerhouse that has to play those games. Mm -hmm. Chooses to play those games, wants to play those games, competes in those games. Well, right. And that's the reason that they have so many horizon league championships, right? It all plays into it. They have, they have, uh, cultivated a, a winning program. And while they might not win every single game that they play, they put themselves in positions to win. And, you know, down at the end of the season, when, you know, everybody's getting tired and, you know, you're, everybody's sore and you're relying on muscle memory rather than, you know, you're kind of just, you're just going, you're on autopilot at the end of the season because those seasons are long and the college basketball landscape is not an easy one to navigate. So they're, they're preparing themselves for success by this, by doing these difficult non-conference schedules. So that's, it's encouraging to see. Now, Dylan, for our listeners who don't know, I, I just, before we move on to this, I got to ask our listeners who don't know, you were a practice player for the UW Green Bay women. Yes. What were those practices like? I, I know that's a very broad question, but what is, I mean, it's still right. Coach Borseth, it's still Coach Vogel, uh, some of the assistant coaches changes, but the head coaches don't, you know, it's still the same, you know, mm-hmm. fundamentals still, you know, everything like that. And so what was that like? What is being inside that program truly like? Well, they're intense. They're very intense. I mean, in Borseth, I don't know how he hasn't, you know, blown his head off 
screaming or popped a blood vessel or popped an eye out or something. And, and Vogel is the same way. She is just, she's pumped. They are, they are so pumped. And, and those, those players are some of the most talented players I've ever played with because they have such a focus on the fundamentals and they more focus. They don't, they don't practice until they get it right. They practice until they don't get it wrong. Like it's just reps, it's reps, it's reps. And, you know, there's a lot going on there. You know, myself and a couple other guys there, we'd get in and, you know, he'd give us two or three minutes to learn the offenses of these other teams. So, you know, they could, they could see it defensively and we're like, slow down, man. So I, they're, they're, they're just so intense. The intensity is off the charts, but I mean, that again, they have a winning culture. That's what it takes. So, you know, there's a couple of things. I just want to break that down. A couple of things that you said that I did. I just wanted to give our <laughs> listeners perspective on this. So mm-hmm. you went to a very successful high school program. You played a very successful high level of AAU basketball. One thing you said was that these are the best players that you played against. Some of the best players you played against. Mm-hmm. Can you, what perspective can you add of the talent that you've played against at the guys level? Well, I, you know, I've played with a handful of very successful Wisconsin high school basketball players. Um, just to name a few, um, you know, Tyler Seminus from Laconia, who went on to play at, um, it's, it's, I can't think of it at the top of my head, but he played a couple of years. And then he transferred to Ripon. Um, you know, Toby Hegner, who played out of Berlin, he played Division One at Creighton. You know, played against some Badgers. Played against um, his name is slipping past me, but he played at Iowa. Um, you know, these guys are they're they're also very talented basketball players. But you know, the men's game and the women's game is a very different game. Where Cardinal Stritch, men, by the way, first. Yes, Tyler, Cardinal Stritch. Yep. Yep. Um, and I'm sure I'm missing a few, but um, the men's game is more focused on athleticism than the women's game is, right? The women's game is fundamentally based. Like you are, those are skilled. Like the best shooter that I've ever played with was Allie LeClaire, who now is Allie Alexander married to another practice player, right? So, you know, and like and James was a was a phenomenal basketball player and Sam Terry and all, all those girls on this team, I mean they were tough. Jessica Lindstrom, Jessica Lindstrom. Yeah, they were fundamentally sound basketball players. They just didn't make mistakes. And that's what I mean, like they're the best basketball players I've ever played with. Where, you know, at our AAU team, we had one of the more athletic teams that I've ever been. Probably the most athletic team I've ever been on was our AAU team. And we had a lot of area kids that, you know, we always won. We always won the looks and warmups because there wasn't a single one on the team that, that couldn't throw down some pretty nasty dunks. But again, that was the men's game is more athleticism based than than the women's not that they're not athletic but they're just so they're, they're more in my opinion they're 
they were more fundamentally sound. I'd agree with that. And just real quick, just talking about the difference in the, the that practice of again, kind of focusing on the guys game, the AAU game versus a coach Borseth practice. Mm-hmm. If you could elaborate on that. <clears throat> give me what do you mean? Give me an example of what you what well, just, to get at. I, I guess the kind of the difference, I mean, yes, there's an obvious difference between a practice, a college practice versus a high school practice. Mm-hmm. You kind of had to compare, you know, your high school, just again, the structure of a practice versus the intensity of a coach Borseth practice. I mean, we all know, you know, we, we all know oh, the intensity of the sideline on games. We all know, right. you know the post game rant at his time in Michigan. Mm. Mm-hmm. But, but that intensity, like what, what is that just an average practice? Like, you know, you know, if there's not a game, let's just say for conversation's sake, because I mean, the Horizon League played a very kind of similar high school schedule. You're not playing a game till Thursday. Mm-hmm. What is Monday or Tuesday practice like comparing the two? Well, you're really digging back into my memory files here. It was a long time ago. But, um, you know, there's a lot of focus on, you know, as practice players, we were, we were simulating the other team. So, you know, we'd get a responsibility like, hey, you know, AJ, your guy is, he doesn't shoot, or she doesn't shoot outside shots, pump fake drives. So that's what you got to do. Um, me, I was, I was always doing the post stuff. So, you know, you know, me, I'm, this girl always goes left, doesn't go right, fakes right, goes left, simulate that. Um, I, I don't want to say the, the practices further out were less intense. I mean, to a point they were, but they weren't not intense, if that makes sense. Um, mistakes were not tolerated. I shouldn't say not tolerated, but you heard about them. Whereas, you know, a high school practice, they're slightly more forgiving. But UWGB is the premier women's basketball program, Division One in Wisconsin, right? Uh, they're, they're, they've been, at least in our time since school, they've been better than the Badgers women's program. And and uh, Milwaukee's women's program, so. And Marquette. Yeah, and Marquette, yeah. So, mistakes were not, you weren't as forgiving, and and you heard about them, and you practiced until you didn't get it wrong. Was that same intensity for the players as it was for the practice staff, or the practice players? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I'm, when I'm saying you you practice until you don't get it wrong, I'm referring to the players. The practice players were kind of an afterthought. They're kind of like, yeah, if you do it right, you do it right. If you don't, you don't. But his his focus was on the players by sure. by, by far, which makes sense. I mean, what are we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, one more team to just look at it real quick here. Uh, Marquette, ninety two seventy win over Northern Illinois. Their next game, uh, playing Ryder College on Friday as well. No line on that one. I'm gonna guess probably Marquette by twenty. But uh, mm-hmm. they have their biggest non-conference game coming up uh, next Tuesday, actually, where they will play in the Gavit tip-off games, uh, where they will play uh, 25th-ranked Illinois on the road next Tuesday. So that's mm-hmm. the full slate of college basketball here in the state. Uh, one more game I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about before we get the Packers. In a thriller in Level 3, Division 4, 
of the Wisconsin Intergalactic Athletic Association WIAA playoffs. Luxembourg Casco Spartans went to two rivers, got a win, and I was not at that game again uh, due to supposed to be going to RPW, but with again with the meetings, did not get a chance to do either one. Um, so their season continues. They will play Friday night with a chance to go to Camp Randall next week, play for state championship on the line against Catholic Memorial from Waukesha. That game is in Kewaskum. So kind of not really halfway, but a neutral site game. Mm -hmm. A chance to go to state title. I will be on the call with Paul Schmidt. Uh, We'll have information on my personal social media pages, so be sure to check that out. But Two Rivers on to the next round. I believe Kimberly um, is also on the next round and... Notre Dame is also out of the state semifinals for local teams here in the Northeast Wisconsin. So plenty of awesome high school football prior to the week before going to Camp Randall. Again, want to shout out the high school athletes as well, which Dylan talking about football that really matters to football that kind of matters. Green Bay <laughs> Packers did get a win this last week. Uh, they did beat the lowly Los Angeles Rams 20 to three. Um, a lot of positives from that game. A lot of a lot of ugliness from that game. Uh, first, I'm going to ask: Did you watch the game Sunday? And what were your initial kind of just gut reactions? I actually did not get a chance to watch the game. Um, I did watch some highlights, and I looked at the box score, um, team stats, and stuff like that. So, I mean, looking at that, I can infer some things. Um, first thing is on paper, Jordan Love. Statistically, he played a great game. Yeah, he was 20 and 26, 228 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. The eye test, the eye test is telling of that, that he played one of his better games this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, the offense did still struggle and, and stall out quite frequently. Uh, it was a game where coming off of an 11, uh, 11 penalties for 99 yards, penalties were still timely in issue, 8 for 57 yards this mm-hmm. week. Um, you know, I can think of probably about three for sure that I know were either on defense or special teams. So not all on the offensive end. Um, still a lot of moving parts with the offensive line. Uh, obviously, as we know, the controversy – as seen on social media with the offensive offsides calls on the the love shove yep. on the fourth and one conversions, which I know that you know officiating isn't ever the reason why you win or lose a game. I know that it's a very you know it does take the best of the best. It's not a very easy or forgiving job, but I would say it would be questionable at best on some of those call on two on at least one of those. And one of them was completely, you know, I, I, I can't even really comprehend where the penalty on it was. Yeah, um, I know which one you're talking about. And I, I can, I, there's so many stills of it, you know, floating around social media. And you struggle to find what they were looking at. I can say, you know, it, it was close. I will say, you know, if it's close enough to even be a conversation, then it's close enough to be called. Yeah. I also know that, uh, you know, at least, again, way different situation, but um, after having, I'll say an anonymous source, 
who is a high school officiant in Wisconsin for football and basketball, did say that at least one of them was complete nonsense. Not going to name names. I don't want that person to get in trouble for being public or criticizing another official, mm-hmm. or group of officials, or you know, even if they care. But I'm gonna I'm gonna keep them anonymous. But I know that they have been on record saying that it was tomfoolery. At least mm-hmm. one of them. Um, even kind of explaining the rule. I will also give a little bit of benefit of doubt to the fact that there was some, I mean, there wasn't really a straight on angle that we were able to see. It was kind of a little sideways, so I will give that as well. But yeah, and and as a player, you never want games to be decided by referees. Not that this one was. But you never want that. So as a player, you kind of have to take the responsibility to not give referees the opportunity to decide the games. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of players and fans overlook is, well, just don't put yourself in that position. I know it's easier said than done, but if you don't put yourself in that position in the first place, then it's not an issue. Yeah. Uh, That aside, though, just looking at the rest of the game, we'll go real quick here. Offense scored a first-half touchdown. So, <laughs> yep. for the first time since the Falcons game. Uh, good to know there. Uh, Aaron Jones finally got going, or at least was given the opportunity to get going. 20 carries, 73 yards, and a touchdown. And then, uh, looking at the receivers, I know we talked about this pretty extensively last week about just getting guys touches um, and targets and looks for that matter. So Aaron Jones, 20 carries on the ground, 73 yards. Emmanuel Wilson for 43. AJ Dillon, 9 for 40. Uh, Jaden Reed, 1 for 21 yards and an end around. Uh, through the air, Luke Musgrave was technically the leading receiver. Uh, I shouldn't say technically. He was the leading receiver. Uh, three catches on four targets for 51 yards. And the score, his first career touchdown, was a beautiful play that was drawn up. Uh, exactly mm-hmm. what you need to use him in going forward. He is has the potential to be the number one tight end in the league. Think a lot, you know, very comparable to Travis Kelsey. And mm-hmm. I know it's a very big thing to put him in, a big, very big comparison, but has that athletic ability, plays in a system that can maximize him when the offense is flowing. So, uh, Dante I will Williams, say this about Luke Musgrave. I thought it was a bold decision on him after his first touchdown to not do a Lambo leap. You know, it's a very common talk. I, from what he actually addressed it in the media, I think on Tuesday, um, just saying that he kind of simply forgot he's not a big celebrator. Oh, yeah. I'm I, assuming um, that he was just hyped to get his first NFL touchdown and just well, his mind. You, you kind of think about it when you come, you know, as a rookie, you come from the college game where you're not allowed to celebrate in high school, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to celebrate and, you know, really go over the top. So he said he didn't even have the, you know, he didn't even really know what happened to the ball. So many of those guys, <laughs> you know, they hold on to the ball. And mm-hmm. I'm assuming that. The equipment staff, you know, as long as you didn't throw it in the stands, can kind of track it down and realize mm-hmm. what it was, get to him or whatever. But he just, it wasn't even a thing of mine, he said. So, yes, so bold decision. I'm very happy for the guy. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not going to say I'm president of the Luke Musgrave fan club, but I was, I was very high on him. He was my second favorite tight end in this last year's draft mm-hmm. in terms of fit for the Packers. So, uh, I was very upset when the Packers did not draft Delton Kincaid night one, but they did get Luke Musgrave round two, so very happy about that. 
Uh, rest of the receiving yards here, 449 for Dante Wicks on four targets. Christian Watson caught one of his two targets for 37 yards, did lead the game with injury. Uh, Romeo Dobbs caught all three of his targets for 36 yards. Aaron Jones had four catches on six targets for 26 yards. Jaden Reed, three for 19 on all three targets. Uh, DeGuar was targeted once, had one catch for seven yards. AJ Dillon, one catch on one target for three yards. Malik Keith was targeted once, did not make a catch. So 20 catches as the 20 completions uh, came to a total of 228 yards. So very spread out offense. Um, you know, you would love to see Christian Watson get a little bit more involved mm-hmm. than two targets. You would love to see Romeo Dobbs get a little bit more than three targets, but out of 20 completions, I mean, I, I like Luke Musgrave getting four or five. I like Dontavian Wicks being in the mix. So I guess not a whole lot of room to complain when you're only throwing 26 times. Right. But with that said, uh, we look ahead here, and we'll kind of go through our picks as well. Just a quick recap of the week. Against the spread, three of us had winning records. I went 9-5. Shauna went 12-2. and two. Sean, the solo person, did not have a winning record this week. He was at 5-9. and nine. And against all odds, I wish I would have taken these bets to a night at casino or somewhere. Dylan Schrett in the guest role, 14-0 and 0 against the spread in his debut picking against the spread. So hats off to Dylan Schrett mm, in that, mm-hmm. that opener. Makes our guest spot look great. Again, 14-0 and 0 against the spread. Mm-hmm. Well, law of averages is going to take over eventually. It could go 0-14 this week. <laughs> But anyway, uh, so our picks for this coming week are in. Uh, Shauna has not officially submitted them, but I know she that, that she will. Sean did submit his via text message, so we'll go through them here as we go. Thursday night football, we've got the Bears hosting the Panthers. Oh, man. It's very rare that that first game is the dumpster fire game of the week. That very well could be it, though. Uh, like I said, the Bears, three-and-a-half-point favorite. Sean is going with the road upset of the Panthers. I'm kind of leaning that same way. I think Bryce Young's kind of figuring it out at the NFL level. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to agree. Um, Chicago, this is a dumpster, like you said, this is a dumpster fire of a game, but which team is more of a dumpster fire? That is obviously the Chicago Bears. So I'm going to take the Panthers. Yeah, I'll All take right. the Panthers. Early Sunday morning, we've got some action from Germany in the Frankfurt games. Colts host, or Colts technically on the road against the Patriots for scoring's sake. Uh, the Colts are a one and a half point favorite in that game. In Frankfurt, Sean is going with the Colts. I'm going to take the road Colts as well. The Patriots are not good. It's really as simple as that. Yeah, I I think I'm going to take the Colts as well. All right. Uh, Texans-Bengals. The Bengals coming off a win over... Trying to find where they were. Over Buffalo. Very exciting Sunday night football game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bengals did get a big win. The Texans also a very exciting win with C.J. Stroud in a last-second victory over 
Tampa Bay, again, as mentioned, Daria Gumbawale, the emergency kicker after an injury to Houston's main kicker, did make a field goal in that game, former badge running back and brother of Arike Gumbawale. So do you want to shout him out? Um, that game, Cincinnati favored by seven as they've been red hot as of late. And while I like C.J. Stroud a lot, I'm going with the Bengals, as is Sean. As is Dylan. All right, nice and easy for me whenever I write these down. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Titans Buccaneers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home, a one-and-a-half-point favorite. They did lose to Houston, as we had just talked about. Uh, the Titans, I believe, are, were they lost the Steelers on Thursday Night Football, so freshly rejuvenated uh, Steelers team after or mm-hmm. team after a long bye, but did lose that game or the mini bye they call it long week off. Um, Sean is going with the Buccaneers to kind of rebound in that one. I'm kind of thinking that same thing. I think I'm going to take the Titans in that one. So I'm looking at them to bounce back a little bit too. Will Levis is going to get his feet underneath him, and I think I think they can pull that one off. All right. Matchup of AFC North powerhouses. Right now the Browns are 5-3, and three, really good defensively, have gotten a few lucky bounces quite literally. Uh, speaking of the Amari Cooper touchdown, which went off the head of a defender over the weekend. Um, <laughs> and then also the uh, the Ravens got a huge win over Seattle over the weekend. Uh, so Baltimore, a six-point favorite at home. I think they keep it going. I'm going with the Ravens. I'm also going to go with the Ravens. Sean is also going Ravens. All right. Uh, last game on this page, 49ers-Jaguars on the road. 49ers stumbling a little bit here as of late. Uh, they have lost, I know for sh- actually, I think three straight games now that I think yep, about it. Three straight. Yep. So they had gone five and zero. They are now zero for their last three. Uh, they do get the Jaguars on the road. They are a three point favorite in this one. And Sean is going with the 49ers. I think they're going to bounce back. Um, Jacksonville's been playing a lot better as of late. I think that's a closer game than people want to think it will be. But I think the 49ers finally bounce back. I'm going to go Jacksonville. All right. We've got Saints-Vikings. The Vikings, or the Saints, excuse me, on the road are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Sean is going with the underdog Vikings to get the job done. I'm going to go with the Saints here. Um Josh Dobbs did come off the bench and get a pretty, you know, it was a fun, feel-good moment. You know, not even knowing the offense, he was literally learning it in the huddle as he was mm-hmm. going along uh, for the Vikings. But they also lost Cam Akers in that game. Their run offense is terrible as a whole. Um, and for some reason, I, just, I, I mean, the Saints are 5-4. and four. I mean, they are very quietly having a pretty solid year. In what can only be described as a crappy NFC South, but I like them this week against Minnesota. I think you know things kind of come back to reality where Josh Dobbs was a backup quarterback for a reason. I would agree. I'm going with the Saints. All right, Falcons, Cardinals, Cardinals coming in 
probably favored for the first time all season at one and or with a point and a half favorite, expecting the debut of Kyler Murray coming off the ACL tear. Uh, James Conner also expected to play in this one this weekend. Uh, Sean is going with Atlanta to pull off the upset, or excuse me, it is Atlanta favorite, not Arizona. I do apologize. So very close game. I'm going to go with it. I think Arizona covers that one. Kyler's first game back. Yeah, there will probably be rust, but I think there's also going to be a level of excitement to have their quarterback and their RB1 uh, finally healthy and on the field. Yep, I'm agreeing with you 100%. All right, uh, Lions-Chargers, uh, kind of a fun game for Green Bay fans to pay attention to. After or In the 3 o'clock slot, uh, the Lions are two weeks from now. The Chargers are next week's opponents. Um Detroit's favored by three on the road. I'm going to say they get the job done coming off their bye week. Give me the Lions. Sean's also going Lions. Dylan's also going Lions. All right, Cowboys, Giants, and what's possibly the quite the largest spread uh, of the NFL season thus far. Uh, the Cowboys are a 16-point favorite at home against the Giants, who just came off a brutal defeat. Uh, to Las Vegas, and that's 16 is a lot. No, the Cowboys lost to Philadelphia. Giants lost to... Oh, I'm sorry. The Raiders. Dallas. Um, But, yeah, Dallas, 16-point favorite, I think, to get the job done. The Giants just aren't good. Yeah, especially they're starting uh, an undrafted rookie against Dallas, so I think I think they're going to have a field day. Uh, We've got Commanders, Seahawks. The Seahawks at home are a a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Sean's going uh, with the Seahawks. I'm also going Seahawks. I think the Commanders are going to go through a bit of an identity crisis here after the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. Uh, They did get a pretty nice win over New England over last week, but I think Seattle kind of bounces back from getting their shit kicked in by Baltimore gets a win. Yep, I agree. All right, last game on Sunday, we've got Jets-Raiders. The Jets, a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, Sean is going with the Jets. I think I'm going to go Raiders. A lot of positivity coming out of that building after the coaching change. Um, and I just I don't necessarily believe in Zach Wilson. On a week-in, week-out basis, they did look okay. At times, where they had actually they had a pretty rough week against uh, the Chargers, which wasn't 100 yeah. percent Zach Wilson's fault, but give me give me the Raiders in this one. I am going to agree with you on that one too. All right, two more games here, real quick. We got Broncos Bills. The Broncos a are on the road against the Bills. The Bills are a home seven and a half point favorite. Uh, Bills again another rough week where they did lose to Cincinnati. I'm gonna say they bounce back in this one. I, I like them up or like them by seven and a half. Sean's also picking the Bills. Yeah, I think I'm gonna take the Bills too. <clears throat> All right, and then the final game, as always, do the Packers last. The Steelers are a three and a half point favorite at home by kind of typical gambling definition. The three points are really kind of a half point favorite um, mm-hmm. when you really kind of think about it that way. But as bad as the Packers have been defensively a lot, I mean, the Steelers' offense has been awful a lot. Um, 
I think their defense has been okay. I mean, they're a five and three team, and they've won in spite of themselves. I think the Packers showed something and have looked better defensively, but I also don't think that the defense is going to be as good because I think as bad as Kenny Pickett has been, he's significantly better than Brett Ripon. Hmm. So Sean's going with the Packers. I think I'm going to pick the Steelers here, kind of the same logic I had last week. I could be right or happy. Um, (laughs) I have a feeling that a lot of Packer fans, as fun as Sunday was, because it was fun to win. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. It's always fun to win. It covers up warts, which I feel like a lot of Sunday, a lot of Sunday was ugly. But that's kind of the feeling. I think we're going to come back down to earth a little bit. As much as I want to be wrong and say, hey, things are turning in the right direction. The defense looked really good again. I'm buying it. I think I'm going to ride the wave. I'm going to take Packers. All right. So that is our NFL picks. Um, Fantasy League, nothing really to update other than the fact Tyson lost his first game of the season. So mm. go with that as the really the only news out of the Fantasy League. Uh, we go for what we are rooting for this coming week. I said mine a little bit earlier. I'm going to stick with the Luxembourg Casco of Spartans. One game away from state. I'll be on the call. Riding that wave and that momentum as well. Very excited for that matchup against Catholic Memorial on Friday night. Dylan, what do you got? You know, I'm just going to keep riding the same thing that I said last week. You know, Bucks, Bucks finished this week. Well, week, I say, you know, since the last episode, 3-0. and uh, they, got, they got some very winnable games coming up. Hopefully they can keep rolling. Giannis can limit his ejections that'd be great (laughs) you know Packers have an opportunity to make uh what I would call a statement win for this season um it's it's go time it's go time right now and you know they're not out of the picture as far as winning the NFC North they're they got work to do but a lot but yeah a lot so you know, this is this is a big opportunity. They get this win. This win at Steelers would be a large, large momentum booster. So, um, yeah, college basketball starting up. Lots of games to watch. Lots of action. It's just a happy time of year. All right. Wrapping this up real quick, our, we've got our bar of the week, and that is Gordy's Pub and Grill in Maribel. And the Roofer Wisconsin Show crew – Made a stop here on Saturday night after uh, RPW. We were the only car there for a quite significant time. But I'm <laughs> going to go on record saying I have no idea how that's the case. Because we did, while we did not have dinner there, um, which, by the way, Tuesday nights, or th- Thursday nights, excuse me, $2 hamburgers. Oh, Definitely will be checking that out in the upcoming weeks. Um, had some incredible times with the staff that was there. Dylan, in these economic times, we know we are in some unprecedented times economically. Unprecedented times. Unprecedented economic times going on right now. Record high inflation, (laughs) record high whatever. They had $1 hams and $1 old styles. And when when I say this, between Dylan, or excuse me, between Sean Ramsey, myself, and Shauna, who's our DD. 
So lesser extent for Shauna, she did have like one or two. But between the three of us, at a dollar a piece, we made three trips to the ATM. We spent about $50 on $1 old styles, $1 hams. Very nice. Did, we did buy a couple of rounds for some people who did come into the bar throughout the night, but it was mostly on Sean, Ramsey, and myself. And I will say Sunday was a bit of a rough one. I'm sure that, it uh, was. That 6.30 wake-up call to go to Green Bay Distillery and do some radio work was a rough one. I'm sure it was. <laughs> um, it was very much a, I'm going to, when I got home, it was very much a, I'm going to sit in my recliner and enjoy a very quiet Packer game. <laughs> but, again, it was excellent staff. Uh, I'm assuming the food's good. I, I did not get to try it, but anywhere with $2 burgers and $1 hams and old styles, I mean, you've got me sold. You can go in for 10 bucks and have a burger or two burgers and six to eight beers if you want them. You're leaving a happy man. You're leaving a happy man. Uh, on yeah. Google, 80 reviews, 4.6 stars overall. Um, some of those reviews talking about the, the burgers and I don't know if they have any comments, but it does not appear so. But very positive reviews. Again, very nice staff. Uh, dinner specials during Packer games, it looks like, on their social media page as I start following their social media page. Um, they do have different specials. I believe they had a meatball sub charcuterie board mm. this last Sunday for the Packer game. Fascinating. Uh, the week before that, I think they said they had a chili buffet. So... Mm. Always something going on at Gordy's. Um, I also did grab their business card because Gordy, I did not get to meet the man, but I desperately want to. Three businesses this guy runs. Wow, good for him. He's got Gordy's Pub and Grill, G&K Seal Coating, and the Hilltop Bar Hop Party Buses. Good for him. So, full service type of guy. He's got so, anything you need. Pretty much, so... That is Gordy's Pub and Grill. Literally his business card, Gordy's Triple Service. So pretty much all you can ask for. Great bar. That's our bar of the week. With that, I'm Eric the Big E. That's Dylan for Shauna, Sean, Justin, and Ramsey who aren't here. This is episode 134 of the Wisconsin Show. We're out. See ya.